Hey, listeners, this episode has mature content. So if you have children around, maybe press pause or play it another time. This is the Village Church Q&A podcast, where our goal is to create digital, shareable, and helpful content to make disciples who will go, grow, and overcome. Welcome back to the Village Church Q&A podcast. Pastor Tim and Pastor Michael in the studio. And listeners, we do have a question today that uh, may be a little risque. So uh, just once more, we are giving you a warning here. Mm-hmm. Risque to you. Yeah, so <laughs> here is our question, Michael. <laughs> I snort laughed. I don't know where snorted. that came from. That oh was my actually goodness. genuine. Oh, gosh. Within a Christian marriage, are there intimate acts that are off limits, such as role-playing, toys, Kama Sutra? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, et Let's say you. So when I when I became a pastor, there were probably two areas of counseling that I did not expect would dominate mm-hmm. um, my time with couples and individuals. Uh, one of them was um, attraction or, or counseling revolving around same sex attraction, and the second one was basic sexual counseling. And okay. It is. Uh, it's actually very interesting to me because historically, and again, every culture is so different, but the idea was that moms and dads throughout history would pass down wisdom, how-tos, whatnot, et cetera. And it was very common that your sexual ethics and practices were learned, right? Women, daughters by their moms, Mm -hmm. men by their fathers. And in America, especially like over the last hundred years, there is an absolute absent conversation by and large from parents to kids. Like kids are like, I don't even want to hear you talk about it, Mm -hmm. let alone be instructed by you. So there is this absent leadership voice for a young man or young woman getting married. Yeah. And that's probably as a direct result of my generation, you and I are 20 years apart, in my generation, talking about sexual things, even reproduction things Mm -hmm. with our kids was considered taboo, especially within the church. Yeah. I'd go even before that and say the greatest generation, your parents and grandparents, Mm -hmm. There, you know, again, where it started, when it started, you could, you, it's just a reality. It's been around for a long time, but I would say by and large, it would probably be Gen X, Gen Yers who maybe were the first generation in more larger numbers to begin these kind of public conversations with our children. Yeah. But there still is this cultural ethic, like, oh, I don't want to see you kiss, uh, you know, like, and I, I wow. get that in terms mm-hmm. of kids to their parents, but there's been a lack of leadership from parents to children. So what's happened is, is largely, by and large, over the last 50, 100 years, uh, people have been abandoned to pop culture myths yeah. about sexuality. And those change with every generation when Hugh Hefner and Playboy and Hustler, yeah. and et cetera, that began a new era of, of, of sexual, we'll call it ideas and concepts mm-hmm. that would be brought into the bedroom. And, and, uh, the, obviously the, um, overtaking of the internet and internet pornography is is primarily where a lot of young people are being instructed about right and wrong, good or bad, normal, not normal. And mm-hmm. of course, that's a completely demented location to get norms from, right? Yeah. So we're, we're now in this place where in pastoral ministry, we find ourselves in premarital counseling, especially, or when we work with couples in their first year of marriage, also sitting down and just being very blunt about a lot of things. And uh, our world, we just have to be, we have to normalize the conversations. Yeah. So that has been an unexpected 
reality, at least in terms of my wife and I, is just practical ministry to especially young couples. That being said, like some people would see this and they would say, oh my gosh, how are you going to answer this question? This is actually a very normal question that I've been asked multiple times in many different ways. And I think there's a, a larger question that we have to ask, which is, why, why? I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying, why do you want to do these things? Yeah. Where did the ideas initially get implanted into your brain? And what's interesting when we talk about intimate acts that are off limits, there are so many intimate acts, quote unquote, like where do we begin and where do mm-hmm. we end? And I, I don't remember, we just recently did a um, a podcast on oral sex. Yes. And uh, so we'll let that stand on, it, on its own. Um, but when we think about things like role playing, which is what this person asked about, um, why, what is inside of you that your current reality isn't enough? Uh-huh. Like, you know what I mean? Yes. So everything, everything we mm-hmm. want, it can be good or it can be bad or it can be neutral, but I think our desires tell us about something yes. inside of us. And so I think it's fair to look at a couple and say, why is your current reality not fun? And why are alternate realities? Like, for example, why is it that your wife is more arousing to you when she's acting like somebody else other than who she actually is. Who she really is, is, yeah. You know? Or bringing pornography into the bedroom is just always wrong. When you Mm -hmm. bring somebody else's exploitive sexual antics into your bedroom, that's just not a good thing. Right. Um, So when we sit down with um, couples who are getting married, um, there's one big conversation that we have to make sure that the couples have together. And... Um, and, and the questions they have to discuss beforehand because of the inundation of the porn industry is um, you guys need to come to the same page on a few things. Number one, what is your position on oral sex? What is your position on anal sex? I know that sounds weird, but but the yeah. amount of pornography that young men and young women are mm-hmm. watching and normalizing this. Um, and then um, what is your position on sex on a woman's period? Because, again, the porn industry has made all things permissible sure. that maybe weren't normal in the past. And and so what you find here, and we tell everybody, is we give them some very practical advice on, just, mm-hmm. on, on some of the sexual things like that. We say, like, um, by and large, our, our general position is that anal sex is largely unhealthy, mm-hmm. and uh, we just strongly discourage mm-hmm. it. Um, is it sinful? Um, that's a question that, you know, we deal with offline with people by sure. and large, just cause it's a, it's an in-depth discussion. I don't really want to go into that here. Um, we don't typically take old Testament law and mandate them on new Testament Christians. Agreed. Old Testament law had a purpose of its own. And, yeah. uh, but that does actually filter into how couples view sexuality in marriage, et cetera. Um, but we tell them that, listen, in any context, you have what I would call the weaker conscience. And the weaker conscience in Scripture can be a, can be a bad thing. I don't even mean this is a bad thing. I just no, it could a, be a good thing. Yeah, and I think in the sexual arena, it's probably a good thing. Where in any kind of sexual act, there is a person who is less comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. And what you always do in a marriage is you defer to the person who's less comfortable. Always. When you defer— That's the to, honorable thing to do. Always. And when you defer to the person who is more comfortable, then somebody's going to be put into a, a, a compromising position, whether it's emotionally, in terms of their safety, in terms of their conscience. And so what we tell people is these are discussions you have to have on the front end because— you have no idea what these young men and young women think are normal. We right. actually in our premarital have to mm-hmm. dismantle their version of normal and bring them into a much more realistic sense of normal. And e- even from like what it looks like on their wedding night. And we have books and literature that we give to them written from Christian perspectives yes. that really, I think, foster God-glorifying, fun, adventurous sexual relationship. But uh, that being said— 
uh, the amount of dismantling that we have to do is just striking. But you know, we don't have to do it with just sex. We have to do it with money, with sure, with roles, a lot, lots with of different communication. Areas. It's the same thing, but sex is like the the uncomfortable place. And mm-hmm. we just found that we do no service to people by glossing over it, assuming they're. Um, uh, assuming that they have an, a biblical God-honoring sexual ethic, assuming that they're going to have great communication on this level. And most people learn their sexual communication by their parents mm-hmm. in marriage. You know, and, yes. and so when your parents don't talk to you about it and you don't hear them talking about it and then you get married, like we have to push couples to have these kind of these kind of conversations. And so, again, like I try not to put sin on a lot of things in terms of the sexual arena because I don't think the sexual arena should be one of primarily shame. It should be one of grace and joy and freedom. Uh, But at the same time, there are a couple of questions like, where did this idea come from? Mm -hmm. Is this idea safe physically? Um, Is this idea honorable to the weaker conscience in the room? Does this idea poke at a past abuse? Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, what is is an unfortunate but more and more common scenario is you have a man who's a young man whose um, sexual ethics have been developed by the porn industry. He realizes that they're bloated. He's heard that, but he doesn't know what normal is. Mm -hmm. You have a woman who's been sexually violated. And so there are sexual acts that were a part of abuse for her that she's just not comfortable. Not comfortable, yeah. And understandably so. So you have this guy with sexual expectations, a girl with sexual limitations, or by the way, this could be vice versa. Vice versa, it could be. for what it's worth. Um, and then unmet expectations, almost always in a newly married couple, erupt sure. in anger. That's right. And um, we don't get angry over things that we just expect usually, but when you have expectations, especially as a Christian in the sexual arena, and those expectations aren't met, um, then we deal with a lot of anger on the back end, which is why when we do premarital, we just say, listen, from your honeymoon to your wedding night to the first year of your marriage, never, ever, ever let sexual um, anger at each other take root. Bring in a third party if Mm -hmm. you need that you trust and let them help you navigate it because those wounds go deep and they last a long time. And um, it's just, it's not uncommon that a couple will contact us within the first year or a month mm. and uh, they've got challenges um, that they need help with. So, but that's embarrassing. Um, and, and again, we want to take the shame away from the sexual right. conversation yep. and we want to normalize it because it's a good thing. Eight, almost 8 billion people in the world and all of them came from the sex act, you know? <laughs> and uh, so it's not like it's like a, a thing not happening. It's everywhere all the time, but the Christian community for some reason has, um, I think done a disservice on this discussion. And, and so with the young people that we work with, we want to help normalize it. We want to give them the freedom to ask any of their weirdest questions. Um, one of the things I do with young men is, not all young, by the way, but um, most of them are, is, is we say, any question you've ever had, yeah. maybe you've been embarrassed to ask it or you feel like you'll be seen as stupid if you ask mm-hmm. it. And give, almost, them, give them the platform to ask. Totally. And almost every, almost everybody, not everybody, almost everybody has something that they're like, you know, I've never really quite understood this. Mm. Or how does this work? Or I don't understand the biology of it, you know? And there's just details that they've never had the guts to ask. Yeah. Uh, they've never known who to ask. And they don't know what's true and what's not. And um, so to give even people that freedom, there's, there's yeah, just all the shame and secrets. Mm-hmm. And, and I think in the church, um, if we can get rid of the shame and whatnot. So big questions that would be, is it sin? Um, is it physically harmful? Where did you get these ideas from? Are you taking porn concepts and bringing them into the bedroom? And um, who has the weaker conscience? Yeah. And is that person not just being put up with, mm-hmm. but served? Yeah. And I, I think 
you know, one of the questions that, that has to be answered is, you know, does this act bring you closer together, more mm -hmm. intimate, or does this bring That's a division? Good. That is very good, yeah. Yep. You know, Especially is there when you think about like even plausibly masturbation in marriage, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really key thing that a couple should should work through. Does this bring you together, pull you apart? Does it create independence or mutual dependence? Right. I think there are some really healthy questions. Mm -hmm. But that's where, like as you said that, if you, and a, if you and your spouse, you know, maybe you're just trying to figure out what the right thing is, you don't know what it is, finding somebody that you trust and respect that you know will keep that private yes. is probably going to be a, a healthy thing. I think mm -hmm. more people would probably benefit from getting some advice. Yeah. Problem is, long you've been married, you feel <laughs> like you should know more. But the problem is, like some of the most dysfunctional sexual relationships, they've been married for like thirty years. That's right. So and they still may be dysfunctional. Yeah. yeah. And, and sometimes knowledge is power. Sometimes you just have the wrong information. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, right. The amount of people that, I'm, that I sit down with and they're like, I didn't know that. And I'm like, game changer. You know. And what's interesting is you and I have been talking here, and and I, I found maybe. May, Maybe you'll agree with me on this. What I find is when I talk to younger men and women, younger couples, coming from my generation, it's sometimes uh, weird mm -hmm. in their minds. Coming, you know, since you're closer to their age, it is more natural. Mm -hmm. I remember having a conversation with my son and son-in-law. We were working in the garage and this song came on and, and this would kind of date me. But it was like, you know, you're... you're uh, you know, I'm trying to think of the song, but it talks about how sexual she, healing. She is a centerfold, <laughs> and and I said to my son and son-in-law, I said, I hope you think of your wife that way. Now again, I'm talking about my daughter and daughter-in-law to my son and son-in-law, mm -hmm. and I'm saying I hope you guys consider that she is, you know, she is your centerfold. She is your target uh, of of love and affection and care and concern and and she meets all your your needs sexually and, and satisfies you and they were like dad this is weird I can't believe you're talking to us about this mm. and and I think it does seem odd coming from my generation you know down you know 20 20 plus years that we actually have those conversations because I, I think it's just very unusual mm. But I think we need to have these conversations more often, especially within the church, than what we've had in the past. Mm. Well, here's my next question for you, Tim. Is getting plastic surgery like telling God he made a mistake and you don't like his craftsmanship? Oh, that's a good question. Let's do that next time.